the first place we stayed when we got to Baghdad was uh, the zoo over in the compound where the two big swords where Saddam Hussein was. Wow, you were yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's by the, where we by the teardrops, right? Yeah, we stayed. Yep, yeah, we stayed there. And we stayed in actually in the zoo park. We had to sit booby traps because the the tigers and lions had escaped from <laughs> from wow. the zoo. I heard some of the animals were what? starving. That's Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to our podcast, Legends of the Fall, uh, where we are celebrating our 25th anniversary, Fall 97. And we're commemorating this 25th anniversary celebration with a series of podcasts talking about different subjects, um, life subjects that apply to those who have been in the hundred, yes, but more specifically that are a little bit more akin to the fall of 97. And in this special episode, we're gonna we're calling this our veterans episode. Gotta salute the veterans. They take a major uh, risk. They they sacrifice so much so that we can walk around in the streets and we can feel safe in our homes. We can go to the stores and whatnot. So, uh, Carmen, I'm gonna go ahead and pass the ball to you because you're a veteran, y'all. Yes, ma'am. Uh huh. You know, she told. Listen, everybody. She told me I was a little bit late coming on. She told me drop and give up twenty five. <laughs> well, I tell you, I love my friend and sister, but she said drop and give me twenty five. I like, oh snap! Let me start. Give if you early, up, you on time. If you on time, you late. I know. I oh yeah. Mm, mm, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't made it to the military. That's why I'm in the private sector now. <laughs> Go ahead, Carmen. Take it away. All right. Well, thanks, Tracy. So this episode, um, I want to introduce two of our freshman brothers. Well, I'll, before I start with introducing them, I'll um, just share my own path um, into the military. Um, we talked about it before with the last episode, but um, ROTC, Army ROTC is what funded um, my path into um, FAMU. And so for me, I always knew, you know, once I finished my scholarship that um, that's where I was heading. Um, off onto active duty. But um, after our time at FAMU, um, eventually um, we had a few other freshman brothers, two of our other freshman brothers joined the military. I think we have a total of four, if I'm not mistaken. And so we took some interesting paths. Our paths to the military were different. And then we went on different paths within the military throughout our years of service. And so I just wanted to take this time to really just, you know, tell our stories, tell what we did, tell our experiences. Cause throughout the hundred, even before us, long history of um, military service. And um, even before that, just with marching band in general, um, band started as a way for military formations to communicate with each other. Those are some of the origins of band. And so it's always been a part of the history um, of FAMU and it's evolved over time. So military service, service in the hundred, you know, the the pomp, the circumstance, the discipline, 
all of that, it's always been, you know, just a part of our culture. So I thought, hey, what better way than to talk about our experiences as the class of um, fall 97 and how what our experiences looked like in the hundred. All right, so we're introducing Kareem Lenneman and Tori Henderson. Kareem, we'll start with you. Tell us um, where you came from and what instrument do you play? Uh, I came from Suncoast High School in Riviera Beach, Florida, and I played the sousaphone while I was at FAMU. All right, Hubba Kareem and Tori, introduce yourself. So, hello, thank you for having me. Um, I come from FAMU High, which is in Tallahassee, Florida, which is on the down part of the hill. And uh, I played percussion while I was in the 100. All right, Hubba Tori. So, so tell me, um, for both of you, what made you choose the instrument that you chose? How did you become a tuba player? How did you become a percussion player? <clears throat> Well, my, my path, this is Kareem speaking, my path was a little interesting because um, I, I originally started playing uh, the trumpet in eighth grade. So uh, a close friend of the family uh, gave my mother a trumpet uh, when I was in middle school and I started playing in eighth grade. And when I went to high school, um, that was really my introduction into um, a high stepping band or like or black style or HBCU style marching bands because my band director, Mr. Ernest Brown, went to Florida University as well. He was at 100. He was a drum major as well. <clears throat> so I started off playing the trumpet and we didn't have any tuba players my junior year. And he asked me if I was willing to switch over to sousaphone for the band because we, we kind of needed the help. And from there, it's, it's somewhat stuck. I, I really enjoyed it more than playing trumpet. And uh, I, I, I decided not to go back and just stay on the on the sousaphone. So kind of an interesting uh, transition to playing tuba. Interesting. Well, I can say for me, <clears throat> I can say for me, my path was was less interesting. As soon as I saw percussion, I knew that's what it was for me. Um, in high school, we had a director that was from the 100 as well, uh, Mr. Arnett Moore. But um, it was just, you know, even in high school, I played more than just drums, played marimba, xylophone, and things of that nature. But that it, it, it was never a choice to switch to anything else for me. Awesome. I Can I think it right? Tori, what was it like going to FAMU High? Like, what, what's, what was that like? Like, the high school that belonged to FAMU, like... What were there perks involved with that? Like, what, 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 what was that experience like? Um, the perk to that was actually the experience. Um, just being that close to it, I think. Um, that's that's what helped me in the hundred. Being able to watch that every every week, you know, take it right down the street to my own band. Um. Another perk was in, people in and turning from the hundred would come down to the school, so you know we got a lot of experience that you know people would wait have to wait either for that band director to come to that band or or wait for homecoming to come see the hundred. You know we we got that experience all the time. Even the college experience, we 
we already knew what we were going to do. Awesome. Awesome. Because reason why I thought about that experience, you had it. It was there. It was always there. It was a part of your high school experience. Right. Yeah, I mean, even down to the uniforms, hand me down uniforms. We <laughs> I remember that. We, we, got, we got all the heavy stuff. Like we wore I, I'm pretty sure our drum majors wore uh uniforms that uh 70s drum majors was wearing. So but it, it was a beautiful experience. I, I I wouldn't you know our band wasn't very big, but I wouldn't change the experience for anything in the world. Um it, it was just, I think that was the upside to it, just being right there to watch it, to hear it. We could walk up to the band field and listen to uh, band practice, you know, things of that nature. So I fell in love with the sound even before I could even be in the high school band, you know, the symphonic sound. Like that, that was in my head before I even touched college ground. Awesome. Awesome sauce. So pivoting over to, we'll shift and kind of start talking about how, what were the first inklings or the first decisions where you thought about military service may be a path for you? Or how did you fall into um, your military service? Well, uh, another thing that was never my idea. So my mother decided that uh, it's funny, the military was for me one Saturday morning I woke up and there were like recruiters in our living room that she called <laughs> because oh, she wow. she never thought <laughs> she never thought I was going to go to college. So she said, "You know what? I need a backup plan, and you're going to do this military thing with you, like it or not." So I remember one Saturday morning, <clears throat> I woke up and there were some recruiters in the living room, and we were talking about the military. Although I always planned on going to school, and I ended up keeping, you know making a decision if I wanted to go into the Marines or if I wanted to go into the Army. And before I got accepted to FAMU, I actually joined the the National Guard Reserves, I would say the um, the January of my senior year before I got my acceptance letter because I wasn't sure if I was going to college. But I I, I wasn't going active duty. I decided, you know, I'll, I'll keep my options open. Maybe I'll go to community college and I'll do the the reserve uh, contract versus the active duty contract. And but really, the reason I went into the military was because uh, of my mother. You know, thinking that I needed a backup plan, which actually worked out for me. And that is interesting how we took similar paths. Same thing in the fall of 1996, going into my senior year, my mom was like. I don't have it. I don't have the finances for you to go to school. I know you want to go to FAM, but we can't pay for you to go to FAM. So these are the options. And so I had a long history of military going all the way back. World War II, I've always had someone in my family has served. And so it was just that uh -huh. next logical decision, like this is a, a path or this is a, a tool. And so same thing, enlisted um, senior year and actually started um going to drill, going to duty during my senior year of high school. Thought I was rich because I was getting a little yeah. bit of pay once a month. They couldn't tell me nothing back then. They couldn't tell you anything with those benefits, huh? Right. But somehow I ended up getting a packet for Army ROTC. And so it went from me, you know, going and just being 
a reservist to actually looking at, hey, you can go to school full time and they'll pay for everything. And so once I saw that opportunity, it was off to the races. And so the rest is history. So how about wow. you, Tori? What was your path in? Oh, so mine was a little different. Um, <laughs> I, I knew I was, when I graduated high school, I knew I was going to FAM. I knew I was going to March. Went up to FAM, did that 97 and 98. And then, of course, you, you know, college experiences. Um, my oldest son came and it was just time for me to, you know, change directions. And at the time in Tallahassee, it was really nothing I could do really to support my son. So it just all happened all at once. Uh, that 9-11 and, uh, and then the time I enlisted, I ended up um, just saying, you know, I'm about to go to the Army. I need a check. I got to support my son. And that's what I did. Okay, so I can see how we all had you know, just different paths. We all ended up in the army, but just different ways. So Kareem served Florida National Guard. Tori, you enlisted. And you said it was, was it before or after 9-11? It was actually like 9-11 had just happened um, when my son, no, yeah, 9-11 had just happened when my son came. And I remember the news everything being on the news or whatever but it was it was one of them things of course you got friends like hey i don't think this is the right time to do this and i'm like well <laughs> i have a child so it is what it is right and one thing too um for for both of you is do you think the hundred influenced your i guess either the way that you served or how how did your experience marching in the hundred play into your service? Well, that's an interesting question. Or did it? Did it I, have any impact would, on your service? I would say that uh, it's interesting. I, for me, it was a little bit of a conflict because when I, I actually went to basic training before the fall where we came up. So I missed pre-drill because I was in basic training and then came late pretty much right before school started and i had a large conflict um throughout a lot of my time in the military because uh i would it would conflict with the drill weekends where i had to drill one week a month at the at the tallahassee unit but i would say that maybe some of the the military impacted my discipline in the hundred you know i was disciplined in high school but i think it it may have been other other way around where some of the military discipline impacted some of my work ethic and discipline when I was in the hundred, for sure. Ah, so a, a little bit before it's because it, I didn't even know that I, I didn't know that you enlisted and went to um, basic prior. So mm -hmm. that, in some ways, could have prepared you for the hundred. Makes sense. Yeah, I enlisted um, before I graduated. I joined, and, and basically, my contract was set to go to basic training upon graduation. Uh, and I did actually even more weird. I did a split op. I did a split op training. So I did basic training my the summer before my freshman year and the summer before my sophomore year while at FAMU. 
and I've heard about that program. That's actually what I was gonna um, go into if I had um, went that route, but ROTC ended up just funding all of it. So how about you, Tori? Do you feel that the, um, your time in the hundred, did it influence or impact your service at all? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, for me, I, I didn't join the military until after my hundred days. So uh, it definitely gave me a feel. I mean, like coming up in a hundred, you'll never forget it. Like uh, the most grand memory I have with a hundred is like, your freshman brothers and your freshman sisters. So you like, you don't know what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, you got people going through with it, with you. So it was like that same impact going into the army and, and you know, operations and doing that. It's just like you had to uh, create that trust um, and you had to use discipline, you know, and I think the hundred started that for me, but I think I need, I think the military took it a little, father for me as well but the hundred definitely had a positive impact on me as far as uh you know transitioning into the military it's good to know and what i love about this podcast is even though we've known each other all four of us we have known each other since the fall of 97 we're still learning about each other think those are, those are just things that i didn't know so so yeah that that's cool so let's shift over to um, one thing that we always talk about and for um, the podcast listeners is um, I think for, it sounds like for all of us at some point we all did spend some time on active duty or either got mobilized but um, there was a time at the beginning of the war um, with and when we say the beginning of the war we're all referring to the initial invasion of Iraq. So, you know, to take it back, September 11, 2001, that happens. For those of us that served in the military, we all knew that at some point, you know, we would all be deployed or go to war. And whatever that looked like, we didn't know what it would look like. But um, fast forward to March of 2003, all three of us ended up um, all in Kuwait in preparation for, for the so Kareem, do you want to talk about, do you remember that day that we ran into each other before the war started? I remember that day and it was crazy because I was on my way out. So, uh, you know, September 11th happened, uh, 2002. I was on a bus to Fort Stewart by this, by the end of December, 2002. So the Tallahassee National Guard unit, you know, Tallahassee is a college town, which everyone knows. So that Tallahassee, National Guard unit was an, uh, an 11 Bravo infantry unit. And it was stacked full of guys from prior service Marine Corps, prior service Ranger Bat, and active duty um, Army infantry. So we got plugged in immediately as an infantry filler because at the time the military was, was somewhat caught off guard. It was a little downsized and not necessarily ready for, for combat. So, you know, this is the first time I think uh, I can't remember specifically. I think they said within a few decades where the National Guard was actually called up and activated. So that Tallahassee Infantry Unit, third third uh, third battalion, one hundred twenty fourth Infantry, was actually plugged into third to third ID, right? So 
we got plugged into Third ID, and by the, by the end of December, we were headed to Fort Stewart for processing to head in country. So our unit was there from December 2002 to March 04. So when I saw you guys in March, I was in the initial wave with Third ID moving behind, I believe it was 82nd Airborne to Baghdad. Wow. And then we were coming out as first, I believe it was first armored. I can't remember. Somebody correct me later on, but I think it was first armored first that was armored taking over the country. Yeah, they were taking over the country. Third ID was going home. First armor was taking over. So we were able to exit with third ID. When I saw you guys, I was on the way out and you guys were on the way in. Wow. And I didn't know that. So the crazy part is <laughs> coming out of FAM, April 28, 2001, I commissioned through ROTC. You know, they swore you in during the graduation ceremony. 24 days later, I'm on active duty, you know, at at Aberdeen Proving Ground in Maryland. So I went to the officer basic course. So five months, fast forward, September 11th happens while I'm in school, then report to Fort Stewart. October of 2001. So not knowing Kareem was at Stewart two months after I was. We didn't even know that Kareem was there. Tori wow. also was, was stationed at Fort Stewart. Tori and I ran into each other one day at the DFAC. So DFAC for civilian listeners is dining facility. So one yep. morning I'm eating breakfast with my fellow officers. I hear somebody say, Carmen, Carmen. And so, of course, the officer's looking at me like, um, who's this soldier that you know? Who do you know? And I'm like, no, y'all don't understand. This is my freshman brother, Tori. And so, Tori, when did you arrive at Fort Stewart? So I arrived in Fort Stewart in July of 2003. No, 2002. Okay. Yeah, well, I was gonna say it had to be 02, because right. We didn't we didn't um, then, cross the um, um, until we actually we actually went to Kuwait. We were supposed to go to Kuwait for, for six months, but that was like the, the draw up for everything. So okay. in that six months, we learned there that it's either we were gonna be going back home after that or we were gonna be going across the border. Which okay. ended up going across the border, which extended us another six months, which was our first tour. But I didn't know Kareem was attached to Fort Stewart because that was not. I didn't know that either. So you um, had the, he had the third ID patch, Kareem. So we had, interestingly enough, some of us had the third ID. Oh, they patch probably had the they probably had the eighty second because we all fell under the eighty second. Ah. We all fell on the 82nd, but what, what, so what our job was, interestingly enough, um, Desert Storm 1, the Patriot, the Patriot battery was essentially in the rear, and they were, they were shooting, you know, they were shooting at, at the Scuds, or they were poised to shoot at the Scud missiles from miles, miles from the rear. So what they decided to do with Desert Storm 2 is essentially, they wanted to move the Patriot battery all the way to Baghdad, right? So as most people know in the military, you know, the army, if you're a Marine, everyone's a combatant, but in the army, everyone's not a combat troop. So essentially our job, the, the infantry unit from Tallahassee, our job was to escort the non-combat, non-combat unit Patriot battery up through the desert, all the way up to Baghdad, because they wanted the Patriot battery to be right 
uh, near the launch base of those Scud missiles in case they went off. Okay. So we actually wore the Patriot, uh, uh, the Patriot battery emblem just to kind of fit in with those guys, but we're okay. technically attacked with that ID. Interesting. So I arrived October 01. Kareem arrives December 02. I'm sorry, December 01. Tori arrives July 02. Right. So, fast so to go back to, to go ahead, Tori. So to go back on, on your story when I saw you. <laughs> so um at that point we are our unit is in Fallujah. They didn't got Fraggles to go to Fallujah. Ooh, I thought 101st went to Fallujah. Oh, no, no, no 82nd. They, they sent us over there because at the time, uh, initially, the Marines was over there. Yeah. And, and things had got, so they, 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 re, uh, they fraggled us to Fallujah. But I was on heavy engineer equipment, so that, they um even though they fraggled us to send us that way they sent all our heavy equipment back down to kuwait which was we were supposed to prepare to get ready to get out of there and for so, civilian listeners frago is short for fragmentary order it basically means change of plans Right. You had an initial mission, but higher comes down and says, hey, change a mission, do this, or you're going here. And so and at, had to make And at that time, just for people that don't know, at that time, Fallujah was like the south side of Chicago. So I'm glad I didn't it get it. It was hot. Yeah. It was hot. It was bad. It was bad. That's why they, they started repositioning people to go back out there. So they sent me back to Kuwait with the vehicles I was driving at the time. And that's when I'm on the tent pad and I see my fresh sister coming. And then um, at first I'm like, man, she looks familiar. You know what I'm saying? I was like, that gotta be her. I'm about to try it. That's why I yelled her name. I'm like, Carmen. And she turned around and it was just like, it was crazy. It was so good to see somebody there. You yes. know what I'm saying? Oh that's my goodness. Because we, it you was know, thousands crazy. of miles from home, thousands of miles from home, thousands. didn't know, like the old cadence, don't even know if I'm ever coming home. We didn't know what we were walking into, didn't know yep. we were going to survive it. So to see my freshman brother in Kuwait, we about lost it. I mean, you should, that picture, <laughs> that smile, that smile was, that was it. It was all of my teeth. You could see every last one of my teeth. But yeah, it was a good feeling. And same you had for Kareem. <laughs> yes. Okay. Every last one. And same with Kareem. What are the odds that literally the, the day before the war started? I'm in line at the post exchange buying my last few supplies. But you know, even, literally, even with Kareem, you know, you know how I knew you knew how I knew Kareem was overseas. How? Facebook <laughs> and Facebook, he had posted this little picture uh, sitting on his vehicle and stuff. I was like, Kareem over here? <laughs> I was like, man, I hope know. I see him. But I never did. But that's how I found out he was overseas. 
Wow. wow. I, so I must have not told. I guess I never told you when I ran into you. No, yo, nope. Maybe I didn't. And when I and when I and when I saw you, it was almost like a little. It was almost like a reality world because you know when you're deployed, it's like you're in a different world, and the real world seems like a, a distant life that was that you never yeah. really lived. It was kind of like a dream. So when I saw you, I was like, "Oh shit!" I mean, oh, excuse me. I, <laughs> it kind of uh, brought me back to. I was like, "Wow!" The real, you know, kind of brought me. It was almost like a reality trip because at that point, you know, the year was so long for me. I felt like my time in a hundred, the life that I left, it was almost like a a distant memory. All I knew at that point was deployment. It was crazy. That's a good. I never thought I of it that way. That. Right. It, right. It was like a tie, a connection between your previous life and real life. Yep. The same thing, Kareem, is I thought and about home. it. And and home, you period. Just like no And I said, like, yeah. Kareem is up there. He's forward. Because, because, we were in logistics. Yeah, because so this was like this all was... the like supplies, any any vehicle that broke down, we were responsible for repairing it and getting it back on the road. So that whole time I'm thinking, wow, Kareem is up there. He's already forward fighting. But and yeah, that's a I, dangerous I job, right? You know, because you guys are like, that's a dangerous job. You know, people will hear that and they're like, oh, that's not dangerous. That's a dangerous job because you're running those roads and you're running routes, right? And and at that point, especially in Baghdad, you know, those routes were very dangerous because of the IEDs and and the the groups that were trying to disrupt. You know those that and sort of support, and, and it was this very is before, intelligence. Yeah, and this is before, absolutely, and this is before. Really, I remember. I think we used to have like MySpace pages or like Black Planet. So this is really before Facebook really dug before in. All that. So yeah, so you're not really aware. There's not really. I think I think digital cameras just came out. So you you really don't know. There was really not the connectivity that we have today in terms of being able to keep in contact with people. So literally just the odds of us crossing paths. I mean, a yeah, million was, to one, but we all saw each other over there. So every year, Veterans Day, we always take that time and tell that story. And, and even just with the larger hundred, you know, there were others that were deployed too. And so um, I hope too that this discussion will just spur others because there's a picture i can't remember who all went but there's this picture that's that comes up every year for um veterans day where there's like three or four members of the hundred that marched in desert storm i think there mm -hmm. was a couple of drum majors and they brought it down on the patch in uniform afterwards so that that yep. legacy there that we've always had members of the hundred um that have served and I'll be remiss too. Something that just came to mind too was um, upperclassmen, Fall '95. I will always remember him because as we left, his unit was the unit, one of the units that replaced us was um, Sergeant Edmund Randall, um, mm. Fall '95 trumpet. Um, we all were there in the in the the beginning, the beginning, the beginning of the war in um, 2003. His unit arrived, if I'm not mistaken, in the early parts of 04. So we missed him not even maybe by six months, but by the times that we went home and the time that his unit arrived. 
And so for a long time, I used to struggle just with that, the thought that I knew what was coming because we knew what we had just left. And I always mm-hmm. thought about whoever's coming after us, it, it, it's, it's not going to be sweet. It, it's, they're going to have a road ahead of them. And so yeah, because that's we, the we came in there and, not, and I'm so thankful we, you know, knowing what I know now, we, you know, if you were there early, that was the time to be there because we came in, we shocked the infrastructure. And once, once the dust settled, that's when the danger really started, right? With the occupation. And uh, once we started having developing routines and you became really, literally, if you think about it, a lot of units across the country just became sitting ducks. And that's when it became dangerous. So I was, in hindsight, you know, yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely thankful that although it was scary being part of the forward movement, that I was able to get out of country in, in 2004 uh, when it really got bad. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I I deployed four times with the third ID, uh, and uh, I remember going over there. Uh, my second tour and learning through the internet, um, I always I always knew who uh, Edmund Randall was, but I didn't know, you know, what happened as far as the military. So I learned that on my second tour. So, of course, I was shook, um, you know, about that or whatever. But, you know, going over there three more times after the initial push, it really became a thing where it's just like, you know, you, you want to make it out of this. Um, you know, it's, you're not going through it alone. And, you know, you, you got people um, at home that's, that's room for you. You got people that, that, you know, even in the hundred that march right beside you going through the same thing. So yes. that, that kind of, you know, picked me up to put me in a certain position to, uh, you know, you know, just, just keep a tough mind frame going through, you know, those, those operations. And, you know, it's something you'll never forget. It's something you'll never forget. Truly, truly never forget. And speaking of that, Tori, that brought up a memory. What you just said was um, our first um, deployment. And as Kareem said too, no connectivity. This was before really cell phones. So it was old school. So really just mail was the main way that we received information from our family and friends. And so fall 97, I still have the letters that everybody wrote me during the deployment. I have a letter from Coralda, Hubba Coralda. I have a letter from my freshman sis, Amanda. I have a letter from Glenn. Glenn sent me a picture of himself gushing in a parade and was like, fresh But that is just the magic of our class that, that they took the time. Oh, and Kawanza, I remember receiving a letter from her too, but just the fact that my freshman brothers and sisters, that they, knowing that, you know, far from home, whole nother life. You're just trying to get through it and go home. But then you get letters, you know, from, from your freshman brothers and sisters. So stuff like that is what, it's what kept me going. The fact that those bonds, they supersede the band, they carried over and have, having that support there with us, even during wartime, I mean, it's, it's priceless. So we'll have to post those letters so everybody can but see. You, you um, got to remember 
Go ahead, Tori. You have to remember, like, going through those those times, everything really slowed down. So even though we was ahead of technology at that point, that mean the the letters took four four weeks to get to you. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? We were calling from rotary phones. Oh my goodness! To connect to the post to to for them to call to somebody for us, you know, it, it 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 was a real crazy experience. You know, I I wouldn't sometimes when you're going through stuff, you be like, I can't believe I'm going through this, but at the same time, you like, I I would I wouldn't change it for the world because it just builds something in you that you you can't experience nowhere else. Definitely. But it was crazy, like you know. You get on that phone, you like want to talk forever. Those phone cards run out quick. <laughs> <laughs> you like hope the phone don't cut off on you because you done ran out of minutes. You like, oh, they don't think I, I just hung up. You know, it, it was it was crazy, but I'll never forget it though. Definitely. Yeah, it was crazy because when I when I got in country, we you know there was no infrastructure yet, so we came across the border up through Nazaria and I remember when I first got to Baghdad at that point I think it was maybe I think I'd been gone for about 50 days and none of us had called home so we mm -hmm. just got to Baghdad and our unit this is before they kind of secured the airport so we took over this op this old officer's compound in in the city close to the College of Law and I, I think it was maybe it was I forgot the time difference. It was maybe one or two o'clock in the morning for me, and there's a kid on the street with a satellite phone, um, selling. I think he, I think he was charging ten dollars a minute U.S. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I had cash on me that I had before we deployed. I spent a hundred dollars to talk to my mom from wow. um, from from a kid on this on a, a small Iraqi kid on the street. With a satellite phone and, and and sat cards, it was insane. We had a a reporter with us that had a satellite phone. Oh, nice! When we nice. when we first went through the border, we ended up taking our vehicles to a um, Iraqi uh, car wash, and we was like, we was using his phone. He was reporting for us and everything. The first place we stayed when we got to Baghdad was uh, the zoo over in the compound where the two big swords where Saddam Hussein was. Wow, you were yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. By the two drops, right? Yeah, we stayed. Yep, we stayed there, and we stayed in actually in the zoo part. We had to sit booby trapped because the the tigers and lions had escaped from. <laughs> from wow. the I heard some of the animals were starving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and then eventually, you know, they got us a little PX semi truck back, you know what I'm saying there? And we was able to get stuff and eventually they set up the rotary phones up there so we was able to call. But I remember at this point too, we were still strong on CDs. Like <laughs> yeah. Like the Walkman and everything. Like, man, I be sitting in my vehicle at night listening to music. Like, that was like the only solace. 
And that's all you had. Whatever DVDs you brought, whatever CDs, right. that was it. There was no streaming service. None of yes. that. I saw Drumline for the first time in Iraq, 2003. I brought that DVD. I said, if I ever get some time, I'm going to watch this wow. movie. And I saw it for the first time in, in Iraq. Wow. But wow. I, I mean, think my... Just I think my Iraq movie that I watched a hundred thousand times was Biker Boys. I think I must have seen that movie a hundred thousand oh, times on the phone. I Biker Boys. I was watching <laughs> comedy. You know what movie I ended up watching that I never wanted to watch? <laughs> Grandma's Boy. <laughs> Who was in that? <laughs> At this point. At this point, you like trading movies and DVDs and CDs off. So right. you, you get in there, you get in your little cut, and you like, I'll never watch that. But then you get to the, all the end of the stuff you brought. Then it's like, okay, I'll watch it. <laughs> oh, and Tori, there was someone from your unit to this day. I cannot remember his name, but he was pretty dark complected. I knew he was an engineer because of his vehicle that broke down. And remember, like I was telling everybody, we were like your like your AAA. If we could fix you and get you back on the road, we would. But if not, whoever was driving the vehicle would have to stop and stay with our unit until their vehicle was fixed and they could keep moving to wherever they were going. And mm -hmm. so when I saw the unit and I saw whatever piece of equipment he was driving in, I said, hey, do you know Tori? Do you know Henderson? He was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's my boy. But whatever his name was, he got stuck. He ended up staying with us for about a week. I think but he told me where you, you were and where you were heading. You talking about Frank Crump? Crump, yep, especially Crump. Crump, that was yep. him. Frank he stayed Crump, with yeah. us for a few days. So, and Tracy, yep. that that's just how how big and how small the military is what are the odds of a soldier that tory in the same unit with his vehicle broke down he stays with our unit we fix his vehicle and get him back on the road so he could rejoin the unit so just Aww. that and knowing that he knew tory it made me feel like okay i know i know tory's all right i know he's all right but yeah, yeah. Th this has just been amazing just hearing you know how we all came through fam. We all came through the 100, came up fall 97. We all joined the military at some point, different reasons, different motivations. We were all influenced by 9-11. We knew we were deploying. And so we all ended up going to war in 2003, ran into each other, you know, in 03. And just, you know, I think two of us continued on with our career. I think Kareem, did you get out after a few years? So I was in the reserves and actually because I, I, my contract, believe it or not, um, you know how it is in the military, all contracts are eight years, whether it's active and inactive time. So I signed a six by two. So my contract was actually up the February before I went in country and they extended me. So when I came back, I was out. Okay. So you'd already did all your time. You had did more than what you were supposed to. Yeah, my contract was supposed to be six years reserve, two years inactive. So I signed up January 97, and my six years was technically up, um, but they extended me. So when I came home in 04, I just ETSed. Okay. And ETS, but I do want to ask expiration 
of time and service. It means you've served all your time. And I did want to ask you a question because uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, how did you, how were you able to manage to be in ROTC and in the 100? Because when I first came to FAMU, I, you know, I came from basic training. I, I missed pre-drill and I tried to do ROTC, but for me, I just didn't have the work ethic, right? So for me being a freshman in the 100, uh, me being home, home, away from home the first for the first time and and trying to do ROTC, it was way too much for me to do, and I dropped out of ROTC. So it'd be, you know, it'll be interesting to hear, you know, how is your experience balancing the hundred in ROTC? Because ROTC in itself is a job. So I don't even it know was. how you're able to pull that off. And honestly, Kareem, to this day, when I look back on it, I don't know how I was. I, you know, <laughs> at that age, you're just doing. I didn't know that it was even a lot. I just knew I was busy. So just like you said, though, 6 a.m., doing formation in the morning at ROTC, doing those runs, running over to FSU, running back, and then a full load of courses through that throughout the day, 335 practice, and then, you know, the late practices, the games. The good thing, though, ROTC was flexible. They saw the band also as a recruiting tool. So they were supportive. They knew I had the practices. They Some of them were even former members of the 100. So they had that respect and that support. That went a long way. And I think, too, the program itself, because there were um, ROTC instructors that were also 100 alumni. And so having that community like around me as a cadet, I think it actually helped me adjust better just to being away from home and being a student at FAMU in general. So ROTC actually was what helped me stay grounded and helped me stay enrolled. Because anytime I slip, the instructors who were also all African-American, you know, being an HBCU, that family support, they pulled me to the side and said, hey, if, if you need more help, if you need more time, you know, let us know. And so I think it wasn't just me having the drive to do it. It was also the village that surrounded me through the program. That was a big part of what kept me in it. Because Kareem, I remember you too. I remember you coming to the building a few times. I remember we even jogged a couple of times to PT from, um, I mean, from the ROTC building. We had to run to practice a couple of times. Yeah, and, and really for me, I don't know, maybe I, I didn't, you know, in hindsight, you know, things work out the way they're supposed to work out. But the conflict for me is I remember some of those ROTC drill classes conflicted with band practice and I wasn't they able would. to get, I wasn't able to get part in. And for me, because, you know, for, you know, the only reason I went to college was to be in the hundred. So, you know, I, we didn't really talk about it before, but one of the reasons why my mom reached out to these army recruiters, because I didn't really have a college plan. I only wanted to go to FAMU. It was the only school I applied to. And I really was only going to school to be in the band. I had no idea what I wanted to major in. I had no idea what I wanted to do from a career perspective. All I knew is that I wanted to be in the 100, and that's the only reason I'm going to college, and that's the only reason I'm going to FAMU. So when I started having that conflict with um, with ROTC, I said, you know what? The reason I'm here is to be in the 100. I have to make a decision. And really, for me, I already had my, my tuition benefit and contract with the National Guard because had I stayed in ROTC, I would have I would have eventually, you know, they, they advised me that I would have avoided my guard contract and transitioned to an army contract. So from a tuition perspective and from a benef 
benefits perspective, I was already taken care of. And I said, you know what? I can still be in the National Guard and be in the military and, and be in the 100. The ROTC commitment is a little bit too much, so I pulled out. Makes sense. So you were already fully funded. Yeah, because the way the National Guard worked is that essentially you get your benefits up front, right? Where versus the way the Army is usually you get your GI Bill after the fact. Uh, but the National Guard, the the real uh, recruitment pull was you're getting your money up front and your GI Bill up front from day one. Right. Yeah, it was definitely like in the military, we call it high op tempo. It, it, it's just a short word for saying very, very busy. So very you're right, busy. it was definitely a balancing act between school, the hundred and the ROTC requirements. But it made me better. I think it did make me better because when I joined the army, because I had already operated at that level for so long, it prepared me for the pace that the army operated at, you know, full time. So I think if anything, it just, it helped me maintain that ethic and, and made me successful once I went in full time. But yeah, this has been awesome. I mean, and every, every time we do an episode, I learn even more, even though we've known each other for so long, just those little pieces that Kareem, you were already there. If we had cell phones, we would have, who knows what we all would have got into if we, we knew we were all at the same place. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, that that's awesome to know. We we were all in the same place at the same time, and um, we crossed paths. Uh, speaking on speaking of, speaking on being senior, how did it? How you know how Tori and I are both what what we call enlisted. You can explain that for for the civilians. How was it being deployed as a commissioned officer versus? what you observed being the enlisted life? I would say, luckily, being that I deployed um, active duty, and because back then I was so junior, when you're junior, and when I say junior, meaning newer and younger in the Army, honestly, it was similar to being newly enlisted. And for civilians, commissioned is um, it's basically just the rank structure in the Army. You have you know, the commissioned officers who are normally um, in the commander positions within a unit. And then you have um, the enlisted ranks, which are what, E1 through E9. No matter what branch you're in, the grades are the same. So you've got mm -hmm. E1 through E9. And so um, the officer rank is senior to the enlisted rank. And so there are those boundaries, you know, those professional boundaries that you got to maintain, which is why when people would see Tori say, hey, you know, hey, Carmen, they're looking at like, well, well, how does he know you? Where does he know you from? What's going on here? So I'd always have to explain that. But being active duty, there were so many officers that we had our own community, too. It's like you still had to maintain professional boundaries, but there were so many lieutenants at that rank when I was junior, I had my community. Were you, were you, were you second lieutenant or first lieutenant in Iraq? Brand new. I think I was a first second lieutenant. lieutenant. Oh, well, if you're a first lieutenant, lieutenant you're not junior. You're, the butter bar is when you're junior, right? So you're first right. lieutenant. You butter had some... were the most <laughs> By the time we deployed, we were all, I think we all made first lieutenant by then. So we had a little bit okay. of rank, a little bit of money. Yeah, okay. But it gets lonelier. As, to get to your point, though, 
is the higher you go, the lonelier it gets. So, and meaning lonelier, meaning your circle gets smaller. So my last deployment, I, I've actually over the, the last um, 20 years, my most recent deployment was 2018. And so I did deploy as a major. So that was totally different experience than deploying as a lieutenant when you're just there with all, you've got, you know, eight or nine, 10 lieutenants with you. So you've got your community and you've got, you know, other lieutenants and other units. But when it came to being a major, I was the only black female major on the entire base. I only met oh, one wow. other whole deployment. And so it just gets, you know, your your circle gets smaller. And so you've got to really find your own community, which again, wow. that's where Fall 97 came in also, because now we've got social media, we've got the phones. And remember, Kareem, you were married um, during my last deployment. And I remember Marcus... Yep. He sent me a ton of pictures of your wedding during my that last deployment in 2018. And so even just that, him sending me them pictures saying, hey, freshman sis, I'm thinking about you. We're at Kareem's wedding. That helped get me over the hump. It helped me get through the deployment. So it just goes to show, you know, our bonds are still there. They they survived yep. the test of time. But yeah, this has been awesome. Just um, learning about everyone's service, you know, where we've all been, what we've all been through. And so I hope for the, the larger audience that this spurs conversations too within your class. You know, if you have members within your own classes that have served, or if you know people in your band or even at your HBCU that have went on to serve, you know, ask questions, you know, it never hurts to ask, well, where did you go? You know, what branch did you serve in? Or, you know, what made you want to serve in the army? So I hope this episode um, sparks more conversations. And in the future, I look forward to um, possibly even interviewing other veterans that have served in the hundred from different eras. Well, I think um, Tracy, this is, um, this has been a very informative uh episode just it has you know these the military stories and the distinctions and the levels that 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 come along with it i was like i'm just gonna be quiet and i just want to listen to this <laughs> it, it's just just an incredible story about like where our lives go um beyond the hundred and just knowing that you guys were basically making sure I have my rights and freedoms protected here in the States. That's just amazing. There are no words to describe that. I don't take any of our armed forces for granted. Every time I go outside, every time I come inside, every time I go to work, just those simple things that I know different countries um, are maybe not able to do like how we can. And that that freedom, it's a sweet thing, and it and it's and it's priceless. It's a high price to pay, pay, but it's also priceless as well because, you know, you guys at any given time have to pay with your life so that I can be over here in the states, just living on and safe, and you know, being out in the streets having fun and all that kind of other stuff. It's 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 a sacred time, especially um, isn't Veterans Day coming up? Right around the corner. Veterans Day is right around the corner. It's such, it's such a sacred time. It's more than a day off of work for me. It's it's more like, let me remember my freshman 
brothers and sisters who, you know, who went over overseas to just make sure that I have the simple luxuries that I have. So this this episode is extra special, definitely, and and even delicate in some matters because of uh, the hundred member uh, from Fall ninety five, uh, uh, Randall, who who paid the ultimate, 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 ultimate price. So hats off. There's there's just no words to say. Um, that that'll just be able to give you guys the praise and honor that is due of being a member of one of the armed forces in the United States of America. So I, let me just tip my hat, got my little hat on tonight and just tip my hat to you guys, give you guys a salute as well. Thank you, freshman sis. Hey. So this is Fall 97, Legends of the Fall. 